Hi, and welcome to the Resilience Podcast. Today, I'm delighted to be joined by Dr. Manoj Krishna. Dr. Manoj is a former spine surgeon who developed an interest in human intelligence, human wisdom, and about creating a better future for humanity. He's the founder of the Human Wisdom Project and the Human Wisdom app. There are links in the show notes. I'm really looking forward to sharing today's conversation where we explore wisdom for leaders. Without further ado, let's jump in. Dr. Manoj, welcome back to the Resilience Podcast. For those of our audience who haven't met you before, please do go and check out our previous recording, which is actually one of my favorite and one of the most popular of all time. Welcome back. Thank you, Brad. I remember our conversation with great affection. It was uh, an interesting conversation. We covered a lot of ground, as I'm sure we will do today. So it's a real privilege to have you back. And our focus today is going to be talking about wisdom in the context of leadership. I know from working with many leaders that they are experiencing high levels of distress, of anxiety, worry about the future. And, you know, they're sometimes squeezed in between an executive team and their own direct reports, and they don't always have all the answers. But maybe a good place to start is with leadership integrity. What are your thoughts about that? Yeah, so, you know, leadership is so hard, right? It's lonely. Uh, As you said, all of those stress, anxiety, mental health issues are there. Um, And research shows that I think 60-70% of leaders are failing within two years. And I think one of the reasons, despite all the training they get and so on, and it may be the missing link is this deeper self-understanding, which we are going to call wisdom. But let's begin with integrity. I mean, it's such a key part of leadership, the number one thing you need. Without that, you can't. And I think what gets in the way of living with integrity is your own mind. See, the human mind is wired through, wired to look after its own self-interest. And if you're not aware of that self-interest operating in the background, then uh, you're more likely to make decisions which suit you rather than the organization or the purpose or the country you're leading. Yes. And the tricky thing or the interesting thing about our mind is it can justify anything. Oh, it's only a small favor to a friend. Oh, it's only a minor. Oh, I'm the chief executive. Surely I can do this. Or surely I can take the car for my own personal use. And it's those tiny little things that trip people up in the long term. Interesting. So building integrity and practicing integrity every single day is the number one competence? Yes, but... Having an intention to live with integrity is only part of it, you see. Mm -hmm. You've got to also understand what goes on in your thinking that gets in the way of living with integrity. And when I say self-interest, I don't mean you're selfish, because then immediately people connect the dots and say, well, I'm not selfish. But then you can't look at it, you see. But on a day-to-day basis, if you've got this quality of self-awareness, which is the crucial thing for leadership, then you can be aware of the self-interest operating in the background. 
and you can do the right thing. So I'll give you an example. Please. Say when I was a surgeon and you come to me and you've got sciatica and the MRI shows you've got a disc prolapse, I can either send you to physiotherapy where I learn zero or I can send you or I can say you need an operation and you know I learn a good chunk from that. Okay. I can justify both those decisions to myself and to you. Now, if I'm not aware of my self-interest operating in the background, I will offer you the option that suits me best. But maybe the option that suits you best is to try a non-surgical option first and have some physiotherapy. See, So our integrity is called into question every day, moment to moment. And once you're aware of your self-interest operating in the background, then you can make the right choices. That's clear. What other qualities do leaders need for our modern business world? Well, communication is a big one, isn't it? You need to be able to communicate really clearly. And communication involves three things, listening, speaking, and understanding. And for all of these, you need a deeper self-awareness. Because, for example, we have a need to be listened to, but not the same need to listen. Mm -hmm. When we're listening, we are already reacting to what's being said and thinking of the next thing we need to say and making a judgment on what's being said. So simple things like you're talking to me, my first response after is to either interrupt you or to tell you what I think. Whereas the most intelligent response might be to ask a question. Or to repeat back what you said to me, saying, have I understood this correctly? So communication is so important. And even when we're speaking, to speak with care. That means before you speak, to ask yourself, how is this going to be received by this person right now? And the moment you ask that question, quite often you'll end up saying nothing because it's either the wrong time or the wrong thing to say. And it's equally true at your for your relationships at home or at work. So maybe this person's really stressed. There's no point telling them right now their performance isn't up to scratch because they're just going to have a huge reaction. Yes. For example, you know. Yeah. Um, or if I'm irritated and upset, at that point to say something is probably the wrong timing for me because I'm just going to, you know not be considered and it's going to go down badly. So those simple little uh, tips on uh, how to speak and listen. And of course, understanding is so important. It's what's not being said. Yeah. Someone's talking about one thing, but if you're sensitive, you realize actually the issue is something else. Your wife's telling you to clean the kitchen <laughs> but it's not the issue. Yes. <laughs> <You know? laughs> She's upset that. with you for something else. You've got to figure out what that is. Yes. You know? um, and so on. So there are so many benefits of being self-aware and communication is, is an important part of that. We've talked about integrity and, um, you know, communication is a, another big skill leaders need. And these are not taught anywhere, right? No. Yeah. 
You mentioned that 50% fail within two years. Any ideas why? Is it that they just can't handle the, the pressure? Yes, so the stress and anxiety is huge, right? Uh, shall we talk about that? Because sure. um, and loneliness, I think that's the third one. Leadership is a, I mean, being human is lonely anyway. It's a lonely space. Sixty percent of people feel lonely. Probably ninety-five percent of all leaders feel lonely. Um, I think the first thing to realize is your stress. Take stress and anxiety. Our mind assumes comes from the outside from what is happening at work or what someone has said or your performance review or whatever it might be. When you go on this journey of learning about yourself and how your mind works, you realize actually it's an automatic reaction from your thinking to what's happening in the world. So the trigger might be outside, but the reaction is on the inside. Mm -hmm. Once you see clearly that your stress and anxiety is a reaction from your thinking, and quite often you can't control the outside, right? As a leader, there's so many things happening that are, every day something new is coming at you. It's usually bad news of some kind or the other. Um, so once you realize, ah, I can change how I react to these things, then you can go on a journey and do this inner work it's all about doing this inner work to change how you react. First, it's to wake up and realize the mind is reactive. And secondly, what can you do to change that? And one of the things you can do is practice the breath work and the mindfulness work and all of that, which is you know there in the Human Wisdom app. Um, but also realize where these reactions come from. So they come from our conditioning influences, which we're not aware of. Right. My anxiety comes from that, too. Uh, my anxiety comes from wanting to control the future. See, So once you understand the nature of fear, then you can respond, you can live with courage. So it's being aware of the nature of fear in our own thinking. So th fear is caused by thinking. Yes. And it's trying to control the outcomes in the future. Yes. And to realize that you cannot do that beyond a point. If you can, you just do what you need to do. Suppose you've got an exam coming up where you study hard, but you can't actually control the outcome beyond a point. Yeah, unless you know the See? questions. Yeah. yeah. So you let it go. Yeah. See? And then you realize a lot of your anxieties are, again, a creation of your own thinking, you know? So it's like sitting in a cinema hall and you've got all this, all these images coming up on the screen and they're all scary images and you believe them to be true and you get frightened, but it's just a movie. The projector is your mind, which is projecting all these things in the future. I'm going to get fired. I'm going to, you know, um, people are going to find me out. I'm, a, I'm an imposter, whatever it might be. So the moment you can see that your anxiety is either a creation of your own thinking or it's trying to control, your mind's trying to control the future which cannot be controlled and you let it go. And you can accept all the consequences of what might happen. 
Makes sense. So and anxiety is about accepting the consequences in the future. Right? Yes. And then your anxiety goes away. So yeah, the company is not going to do well. Well, if it doesn't, I'll be fine. You know, the world will still keep spinning. Mm-hmm. It's part of life. I won't be the first company that doesn't do well, for yes. example. Mm-hmm. And stress is just the difference between how things are and how we want them to be. That's the yeah. difference. It's a difference. So if my mind can accept what's happening right now, a lot of my stress can dissolve. Then I've got my mind is more capable of dealing with whatever is happening. Mm, so I like that. If I let go of my fear about the future and accept what happens now, when you subtract the two, there is no stress because you're but coming very little less left. Yeah. Then you've got a mind that is fully capable of dealing with the challenge in front of it right now. What do you think of stress as a habit? Because I've met leaders who have just practiced being stressed so much that even on a day when they get into the office and there is not an inbox full of emails, they create stress. Yes, yes. Well, the mind loves its habits, doesn't it? (laughs) Exactly. And we're not aware of the habits that we that our mind has created for us. See, the illusion is that we are in charge of our own thinking. But the moment you wake up and realize it's only if you live with intelligence and a deeper understanding of your own thinking that you can be in charge of it. If you don't live with this deeper inner intelligence or self-awareness, whatever word you use, wisdom doesn't matter. If you don't live with that deeper understanding, your mind is running your life for you in an automatic, very predictable manner. Like the same way you're reacting now is the way you reacted last year and the way you'll react next year. You see? Yes, yes. Uh, and of course, this fear makes us do scary things. Like we're wor- I'm worried that you're going to take my role. So I'm going to find a way of you know, suppressing you, punishing you. I live with this sense of anxiety, paranoia almost, and so on, see? So getting over fear and living without fear is such a fantastic thing. And there's a great question for all leaders to ask themselves, that if I didn't live with fear, what would I do next? If I didn't have any fear, how would that impact the decision I'm about to make? So many decisions are made from fear. Yes. Yeah. That's a very good point. And you probably would do what's actually most important if you ask yourself that question. Yes. Because look at the leaders of countries. Look at politicians. They all are just living in fear of being re-elected the next time or what people will think. Or doesn't matter what form of government you're living in, whether it's a autocracy or democracy. All leaders live with fear. Actually, all performers live with fear. When I use the word performer, I mean anyone who's in the public eye doing something. Because the mind has, our mind, has a need to seek external approval to feel good about itself. You notice that? We're always looking from the to the outside for people to like us before we can feel good about ourselves. Once you wake up to that and say, how is that impacting my leadership style? 
or am I doing things just to please people all the time <laughs> rather than doing the right thing that needs to be done? Sometimes you need to do tough things, right, as leaders. Yeah, make a tough decision. Make a tough decision. You need to lay people off sometimes. You need to, whatever it is, you need to do tough things for the business. Mm. But you can do that with compassion, without fear, and without this need to be always worried about what others are thinking about you. If you understand all that's going on in the background in your own thinking. If you don't, then that's going to control you. Makes sense. I'd love to get your perspective on how wisdom or self-knowledge can help in a number of different areas, such as how well do you listen? Yes. So, um, you see, it's just understanding how poorly we listen that helps us be better listeners. Like If you're talking to me and I'm thinking about the tea in the afternoon or what I'm going to do tomorrow, when I wake up to that, then I realize I'm not listening. The deep listening is a skill that very few people have. I met a young girl recently for our, the teenage program with the developing, which we're going to talk about later. And she said she went to see a therapist. And it's for the first time she felt heard and properly listened to. See, it's a deep human need we have to be heard. Mm -hmm. So the best thing you can do as a leader when someone comes in with distress is just to take those five minutes and listen without interrupting and empathize with how they're feeling. See? What they're feeling is they feel really <laughs> real for them, do you know? Um, but the other thing that this deeper self-understanding does is realize, makes you realize it's not about you and burnishing your own ego. It's about supporting the people who are you're leading. Because if you can support them, then they will support your cause, whatever it is that you're aiming to do. See, yes. If you don't look after the people in your organization, well, they're not going to look after the organization or you. Or you, exactly. You see? Mm -hmm. um, so what can I do to support the people I'm working with? And for that, I need to be sensitive to what their needs are from moment to moment. You know, am I meeting their emotional needs or whether, um, yeah, what mental health issues are they're going through and, and so on. So to create an environment, if you can create an environment where there's no fear, and yet there's a dedication to excellence. Mm -hmm. You see, then your organization is really going to flourish. Because a mind that is living with fear only is performing at 50% of its capacity, right? Yeah. But most leaders think, ah, fear is the way to get the best out of people. Yeah. But you're only getting using 50% of their capacity. Because a mind that's anxious, as you know, just can't function very well. It's totally concerned only with its own anxiety, you know. And I've met so many leaders um, who don't realize this. Yeah, I can, I can relate. I can relate. Do you think that leaders, uh, what, what are your thoughts on emotional contagion? Because I think if a leader is anxious even if they don't express it with words our emotions are like viruses that spread quite quickly 
I love that term, emotional contagion. I've not come across it before, Brad. So thank you for introducing it to me. Absolutely. We're so sensitive, aren't we, to others? We can tell in 30 seconds whether some, what's the energy that's coming out of someone, mm-hmm. whether it's someone who's at peace with themselves or not, someone who's confident or not, someone who's stressed or anxious or angry or just disturbed or whatever it might be. See, um, So if you can... This, if you do this inner work on yourself, you can be a leader who emanates that calm confidence. And that is what people pick up and respond to. See, And if you don't have that, so suppose you come into work and there's a ton of bad news. You need to have the skill to put that to one side, walk into a meeting and say, right, I'm going to deal with all that later. But to, right now I'm going to be which is going to deal with this other issue that needs to be addressed. Otherwise, if your mind is reactive, you're already worried about all that stuff, you're anxious, and it's going to percolate to everyone in the room, right? Exactly. What are your thoughts on unconscious bias? Yes, interesting. It's a buzzword these days, isn't it? It is. Unconscious bias, yes. Diversity and inclusion training and all of that. It's really interesting, you know, in, I read a report saying on Forbes saying leadership training is a $360 billion industry. And yet we're, the leaders are failing. So we're doing something wrong. And the same about diversity and inclusion. They've spent billions of dollars on all that. And yet the prejudice in organizations just hasn't gone away. So two things. Firstly, There's a lot of research showing how diversity improves the productivity of organizations and the bottom line. We know that. So organizations now at least understand, yeah, a more diverse organization is going to, you know, be better all around for the bottom line and so on. And once you bring all these people in who are very different to each other, then how do you create a culture of inclusion? How do you get everyone? No amount of lectures, no amount of memos, <laughs> and no amount of one-off, like half-hour training programs, the tick box exercises is going to shift the needle. And the reason is simple. It's because we don't have a deeper understanding of why our minds are prejudiced in the first place. And it's actually really simple when you look at it. See, we're all conditioned in our own way. You know, um, whatever you were born and raised and all of that, right? That conditioning becomes you. That becomes Brad, becomes Manoj. And we become attached to that conditioning. So that point of view. So it shapes our opinions, our beliefs. Of course, what's a prejudice for me? I think you're prejudiced. For you, it's a certainty, (laughs) You know, you'll think all people of a certain skin color are this, or all people of a different nationality are that. You know, you'll be sure of that because you've met two people who were like that, you know, or whatever, right? So to realize that firstly, our mind has a tendency to generalize. So the moment you catch yourself saying all people are, 
you know, you've got to you've got to look at yourself. So I think the first thing is to realize we are conditioned and to realize we're not aware of our conditioning. And it's much deeper than just a simple prejudice. It shapes everything. It shapes what you eat, what you wear, what you think, all your narratives. Mm-hmm. It's not wrong, but just to be able to question it. The second thing to realize is my mind is comparing all the time, unconsciously. So I'm comparing what I see in you with what's happening, what I know for sure, like my condition. So if it's different, like you're smoking a cigarette and I'm non-smoker, that's creating a reaction in my thinking. And I'm not even aware of it, you see. Yes. And automatically it's creating that division between us mm-hmm. or you're eating in a particular way you're eating with your hands rather than with a knife and fork mm-hmm. simple things you see yeah yeah um, so this is what our mind is doing all the time and to realize if you think you don't have a prejudice you have no self-awareness <laughs> that's what i say <laughs> it's it's true it's true you know you've done the training you say i've done the training i've looked at my uh, i've ticked all the boxes i've answered the questions i have no prejudice i'm good to go it's not the case all our prejudices hide deep in our own psyche so to realize and again the more we do this inner work brad the more we realize we're the same human being deep down yeah you see you're conditioned one way, I'm conditioned differently. But the process of conditioning is the same mm-hmm. in you and me. And at that level, once you see that clearly, yeah. then you can see why Brad is behaving in the way he is. And he has no awareness of why he's behaving in that way. See, And as a leader, that skill is so important because the more I know myself, the more I understand where everyone in my organization is coming from. And then I can eat, meet each person where they are differently. Yes. yes. In a really, really intelligent way. So our conditioning is not wrong, but waking up to it and being able to question it, not on a one-hour training exercise once a year, but from moment to moment on a daily basis. And it's all part of this inner work of self-awareness and understanding what's happening. Mm-hmm. And I think that can really shift the needle. Yeah. You see. Yeah. And realizing that even if someone is way further behind in their own development, don't judge them because that's going to be a form of uh, unconscious bias. If you're going, oh, well, they're just so unevolved, that even in itself is, uh, yes. a, is a form of bias because people will take time and some might never get there, would you say? I think, you see, it starts with education. If you think about it, we're educated only about the world around us, but not about ourselves. So we have not been taught these basic skills on how to learn to look at ourselves, how to understand all these hidden drivers in our thinking, like our conditioning, comparison, fear, the reactive mind, identity, emotional needs, all those things. So if you've never been taught that, then of course you've grown up without that inner intelligence. Mm -hmm. But I think it's possible for every person to learn that for themselves. Not because it's good for the organization, but because it's good for you. 
you can live with much less stress and anxiety, have relationships without conflict, be at peace with yourself, be emotionally intelligent, be a better communicator. It's going to help your marriage and your partnership, whatever relation, all your relationships with your kids and friends and family. Do it for yourself. And of course, if you do it for yourself, you know, and you come to the, um, or come to work, you're happier at work. Mm -hmm. Here's another interesting thing, you see. If you're a leader, you might be enlightened, but you've got 100,000 workers who are not. You can't, it's going to make no difference because unless your entire workforce is equally enlightened or self-aware, only then is going to move the needle for the organization. So this skill we're talking about for leaders also needs to percolate down to everyone. I mean, I'll give you a simple example. Our mind is always looking out there for something to make it feel good in here. Right? That's the way the mind is wired whether it's my relationship or my hobbies or social media or work. So I come into work expecting work to make me feel good about myself, but I'm not aware of it. Right? And actually, if you think about it, it's unreasonable. You know, why should I come here to do a job, you know, whatever it might be. I should just do that really to the best of my ability. But I'm expecting that to also make me feel psychologically fulfilled. But that's my responsibility. It's not always the organization. I mean, yes, it's up to the organization to create an environment where I can function without fear and all of those things. But then I also have a role to play as a worker in the organization to bring my happiness to work, if you know what I mean. Yeah, yeah. And that contributes to this environment where the organization is a happy one, People are more engaged. You know, only, um, I think they say about 30% of people at work are engaged. That means they're happy and doing things. 70% of people are not engaged. And Gallup estimates it costs the world economy $7.8 trillion a year. Just people <laughs> sitting there hating what they're doing. It's so exactly. sad. It's so sad. Exactly. And everyone who hates what they're doing think thinks it's because of what they're doing that they're feeling the way they are. But not realizing actually it's the way their mind is working that's doing that. See? Mm -hmm. And when you wake up to that, then you realize, ah, my happiness is my responsibility. It comes from me. Of course, there are issues at work. I'm not saying no, you know. Definitely. Uh, might be, you know, whatever. If, uh, if someone's not expecting putting pressure on you in an unreasonable way, et cetera. I'm not saying no at all. There are issues there to be resolved, but there are also, you can do a lot of work on yourself and much of your own stress and happiness can, can go away as a result. What about dealing with criticism? How can a leader be more conscious and, uh, and accepting of criticism? It's really hard, isn't it, for people? Mm. And the higher you go, I think, the harder it is for them, right? Um, I think the first thing to realize is if you're criticizing me, what this is telling me is much more about you than me, right? In the sense that why are we critical? Let's look at that. Again, 
go back to the conditioned mind. It meets anything that's different to what it's used to. And it responds in two ways. Either it responds by getting stressed or it responds by being critical of that. If I'm critical of you, it actually means it strengthens the sense of me, gives me a certain pleasure. And for example, if both of us are smokers, we'd never criticize each other yeah. <laughs> for smoking. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> right? Yeah. So when I criticize you, I'm actually inadvertently saying I'm better than you. And that makes me feel better. So that's what criticism can. So you, if you're a leader, you need to be careful about how you offer that criticism and whether you're doing it genuinely for the organization or just doing it for your own psychological you know, benefit, if you like. If you're receiving criticism and you see the pain it's causing, see, we're never curious, Brad, about our own inner pain. We always think it's something that is a problem that needs to be dealt with, and it's the other person's fault for causing it. But if we're curious, why am I hurting because of this criticism? What's going on in me? Why, can I, why am I responding in this way? Why can't I say, hey, thanks, Brad. So thank you so much for taking the trouble to say this. And I appreciate it. And I'm going to reflect on it. And if, if there's some value, of course, I'll change direction. That's the intelligent response, right? But instead, I'm hurting, I'm lashing out at Brad, and I'm going to make sure he never gets promoted. And, you know, all of those things will come up. Mm-hmm. So we have a whole module on criticism in the Human Wisdom app. So it's equally important to offer criticism with care, to accept it with intelligence, and to never regard it as personal, and to regard it as an opportunity for improvement. And it's a gift. Because again, think about how many times will someone have the courage to criticize a leader? If you create an environment where your core team can say, Mr. Prime Minister, I think you're wrong on this, or Chief Executive, whatever, you're wrong on this, or I think you should reconsider this. And if you can respond to them and saying, thank you very much for doing that, I appreciate it, rather than get defensive. Yeah. That's a hallmark of a great leader. Yes. So before you allow yourself to jump into fight flight mode, you just say, thank you. I appreciate that feedback. And then you can go and explore it in your own time. You can understand it. Yeah. Yeah. So many leaders fail because they don't have the single quality of accepting criticism or feedback. And of course, in all organizations, this feedback is important to give too. So it doesn't mean that just because you're going to react to it, I shouldn't offer it to you. So it also needs courage to offer criticism, right? Yeah. So it's a complex, but again, once you understand what's happening in your own thinking, it all becomes so much easier. Mm-hmm. See? Yes. Do the inner work is the is the key. You need to do the inner work. That's yeah. the key thing. That's and the, the inner key. work means calming the mind. There's a few, only five steps to it. First, you have a calm mind. Do a breath work or a meditation. Learn the art of inquiry. Learn how to learn to look at yourself. So learn to look at yourself without judgment, for example. 
be curious what's happening in yourself. Why is my mind reacting in this way? Mm-hmm. We have a whole section in the app uh, dedicated to that. Then you understand the hidden drivers in your own thinking, which are common to all human beings, like we're conditioned or how is it operating in me, you know, comparison and all of that. Understand your emotions like anger. We assume anger comes from the outside, but actually it's again triggered from the inside. Yeah. Right. All of that. Um, anxiety, stress, fear, all that. And then you can apply that to everything, whether it's communication or leadership or, you know, integrity, all the things we've talked about. Yes. Uh, comes from doing this inner work. Um, experience, of course, counts, but this inner work makes the biggest difference, I think. Mm-hmm. So that you enjoy it. You don't get burnt out. I mean, leaders commonly get burnt out, you know, from all the pressures they're facing day yeah. in, day out. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's a tough job, but I think this inner intelligence can make such a huge difference to people. Few more questions. What about as a leader having a need for others to like you and and applaud your decisions and feel that kind of prestige and you know it's a dopamine rush. Maybe that's what people think leadership is all about. Yes, um, you get a rush from it's understanding your own ego, right, and the ways in which the ego is always looking to be fed. <laughs> um, And to be able to be so self-fulfilled and confident in yourself that you really don't need that from the outside. Mm -hmm. That I am a light to myself. I don't need other people to like me for me to like myself. I'm at peace with myself. I don't need this applause from the outside feel good because the moment you become dependent on the applause to feel good you will equally hurt in the same manner when you don't get that applause Mm -hmm. and then your behavior changes and your decisions change so you can get the applause and it may not be the right thing to do Politicians, elections are coming up. You know, they spend money which the country doesn't have because they think the voters will like them and get it re-elected, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but it's not the right thing to do for the country, right? So we're always looking for things. So that's why there's this whole new style of leadership called populist leaders who are coming up in the world who do things to be popular, but it feeds their own sense of self-importance. And power is, of course, you know, the great aphrodisiac, right? Mm -hmm. Power corrupts and absolute power corrupts absolutely. Um, So if you're watchful of how your own ego is operating, then you won't let that uh, affect you in in the same way. So I might be doing, I might be the president of the country, whatever, or prime minister. But the person who's cleaning my office is the same human being I am. 
you know, it takes nothing to say, hey, how are you doing? How's your day? Yeah. Talk about their family, or ask about how they're doing, and so on. Mm-hmm. Share something about your life. Just connect as a human being to the other human beings you meet. Keep your role and what you're doing separate from being a human being, interacting with other human beings. With And from that understanding comes humility. It doesn't mean that you're not effective or you're weak or something, you see. You can still make the tough calls, do what needs to be done. But a deeper understanding of the way the ego is operating. Um, And if you create an environment where everybody is jostling for power to be close to you, you know, and all that, you're really creating an organization that's doomed to failure. So many great organizations fail because leaders don't have this deeper self-understanding of their own ego and how it's impacting their behavior and how that's impacting the organization they're leading. Makes sense. (laughs) What about uh, this idea of wearing a mask, projecting an image of yourself? I have met leaders who are so different one-on-one to when they walk out into, into the office, they suddenly become a different person with a different posture and they walk around and then, you know, it, it doesn't seem that authentic. Uh, what are your yes. thoughts? I think these masks come on again without our awareness. Mm. Right? We're not, all the things we're talking about happen without awareness And if you have that awareness, you are in charge of your own life and your own thinking and your own. If you don't have that awareness, then your hidden mind is going to run your life for you. Your conditioning is going to run your life for you. Your fear is going to run your life for you and so on, right? So many of our masks are based on fear or on what others will think of you or a or a narrative in my head that if I don't appear to be strong and in power, the leadership and power don't necessarily mean the same thing. Yeah. See, people mistake that. Leadership is not about power. You know, leadership is about first leading yourself. So the word leadership actually applies to every human being because are you able to lead yourself? Are you in charge of yourself are you in charge of your habits of your emotions of your narratives of your prejudices and are you emotionally intelligent and so on so that word leadership also applies to the inner leader in in each human being so if we can widen that um, definition but coming back to masks I think behind all masks is fear. Mm -hmm. I project one image to the world inside, I'm frightened. Or I pretend I'm not anxious, but inside I'm really anxious. And because that anxiety has not been, I can't even admit it to myself, let alone go see someone to help me with it. So it never gets addressed. Or I'm really stressed, but I put on a mask of confidence. And so on. So um, this suffering that goes on inside all our masks needn't be there. You can live 
take the mask off, deal with whatever it is. And the answer is always not out there, it's in here. Mm -hmm. Whatever it is, whether it's stress, anxiety, imposter syndrome, you know, it doesn't matter. And all of these contribute to the most important skill, which is uh, relationships. Leadership is all about relationships. You know, relationships, relationships, really. Just, you know, it's the absolute mantra of being a great leader. And if you don't have that capacity to empathize, to connect with people, and if you're wearing a mask, you forget it. There's no chance. Because people can spot a mile away whether you're being authentic or not. And if you're authentic, you're mu they're much more likely to be authentic. Yes. Have you got that quality of empathy, understanding, affection? Do you lead with kindness? Do you have an organization where people are kind to each other rather than instinctively mean? <laughs> See? So it's yeah. the energy of an organization as well that determines its success. Yes, and, and the culture starts with your leaders because they often determine the quality of the interactions. I, am I going to be kind or am I going to be angry to this person? Yeah. Culture yeah. starts right there. Absolutely. And if you're not aware of what's happening, then you will lead an organization with fear and all of this. And you, that's why you'll have low productivity, et cetera. So I know there's a mantra of how do we raise productivity in the world and organizations? Well, as we, as Gallup said, 70% of people who work there are not engaged because they're unhappy in some way. And they're unhappy because of the way their mind is working, but they're not aware of it. So this, if we can bring this deeper self-understanding or this culture of deeper self-understanding into an organization at all levels, starting with the top team. I think we can transform the organization, the lives of everyone who works in there, and perhaps the world too, because then, you know, all these people will go out into the world happier, less, less conflict, and so on. Yeah, that's, that's in very... In a nutshell, that's kind of the essence of Resilience Institute, trying to uplift consciousness so that leaders have more care for themselves and for others, and and then actually harnessing business as a force for good. I, I think it's a grand mission, but we have to do it. And I think you're on that mission as well. Yes, yes. But the key thing, Brad, and this is where... This is the work we're trying to do with human wisdom is to wake up to the drivers in your own thinking that are getting in the way of your own intentions. See, you might be a leader who has the intention to live with integrity, lead with kindness, all of that. But your mind is not going to let you do that. Unless you live with this deeper self-awareness, inner intelligence, etc., and you're constantly on that journey of doing the inner work, then you can harness that inner intelligence to meet whatever your intention might be. You see? Yes, yes. I must admit, the one leader that I always think about worked for a very large organization, C-level, 
and he spent an hour a day meditating. And now that's not for everyone, right? Certainly I couldn't manage that, but he was the most calm person in or out of a leadership position uh, that one of the most calm people that I've ever met. And the team loved him. And he was just this shining light of goodness in that organization. And he was doing the work. Yes. I love that word you just used. Goodness. Goodness. Thank you. I see. To me, it's a distillation of wisdom. Mm. All the work, inner work you do translates into one word, goodness. Mm. You see. And goodness includes effectiveness. Goodness includes, um, you know, being a great leader, doing the right things for the organization. But in a culture that's kind, in a culture that's supportive, and so on. But for that, to come to that point, you need to have done this inner work, live with wisdom, this inner intelligence, understand yourself, how your mind works. Yes. And uh, can you talk a little bit about confidence? And I've I read recently confidence is trust in yourself, uh, which I really liked that that definition. But from your perspective, what does real confidence look like? I think confidence is the antithesis of living with fear. So I think it comes from two things. So if say I'm a surgeon. It comes from knowing my craft or knowing where I'm lacking. Again, that's also important. So I can then ask for help. I haven't done this operation before. I need to ring someone and say, hey, can you come and join me when I do the first one or whatever. So confidence comes from being, knowing the extent of your capacity and not. That's one I think the second thing is to understand the nature of fear and to let go of this worry about what people are going to think about you because they're going to think something anyway. Yes, that's true. <laughs> and you can't control that. To let, to understand what you can and can't control and let go of the things you can't control, what people think about you, the outcome of whatever project or policy in, a, in as much as you can, you do, but beyond that, you can't. So, and to accept that life is uncertain. This acceptance that life is uncertain banishes fear and anxiety. And to trust in your own capacity to bounce back, whatever happens. Once you have that, that's confidence. Then you can do most things with a totally different energy, you know. Makes a lot of sense. And public speaking is the number one thing that scares people, right? Yeah. In mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And what's behind that fear is the fear of being judged. A thousand people are going to think. Well, they're all going to think something. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you can't control it, right? <laughs> this is you so are trying to control what they are going to think. And just imagine how silly that is. 
Can someone else control what you think? See? That's it. Mm -hmm. You know, once you see that, this is just so silly. Why is my mind doing that? Mm -hmm. Then you can be more playful. You can be more playful. You can realize it. Then, and once your fear goes, your performance goes up, yeah. right? Yeah. It's true. You know? when, when I think back to the first time I stood up in front of a group to deliver a training program, my legs were shaking. It was all in here. It was like a, a hive of bees. Uh, and I, I did not take note of one face. It was just all inside of here. Uh, and then, but with practice and letting go of the anxiety, eventually you start to have fun. Just, you know, it's a dance. It, let, let's be playful today, guys. And still every now and then it creeps back in. Oh, well, you know, what if my zip is down or is my button up? <laughs> it's all just in there. Yes. It's very interesting. I spoke to this young girl. Uh, she's a professional cricketer in the Middle East. Okay. And uh, she's saying, I'm anxious about dropping a catch when I'm standing on the field. But I'm anxious also about what people are thinking about me. Say I'm in a, starting out in a relationship. I'm worried what the other person's thinking about me. Or I might be anxious about exams. And then she said, you know, now I realize that each time I assume my anxiety was linked to those things on the outside. <laughs> but now I realize it's just my own thinking that's creating it. So your public speaking anxiety is no different from your anxiety about exams or whatever it might be. And Thanks. once you understand the nature of fear, you're free. You're free. Thank you, Dr. Manoj. Your insights always resonate strongly with me. It's such a great reminder, tapping into your own wisdom. Uh, any final thoughts for our readers, readers, listeners out there in the world who've made it this far? You know, I'd say there's a treasure inside you. And if you were interested in exploring that treasure and connecting with it, then there are many places in the world where the tools are available for you to do that. And human wisdom is one, but I'm sure uh, there are many other places, including, you know, the Resilience Institute. But you have to want to take that first step of beginning that journey of looking and learning about yourself. All I can say is it's transformed my life. You know, and it's up to you to then decide. So not only does it transform your life if you're a leader, but it also makes sure you're happier at work or your mental, you're in charge of your own mental health or you avoid addiction, or you have happier relationships, or you're at peace with yourself. You live with compassion, with goodness, you see. So all those treasures are there inside you if you um, are willing to begin this journey of looking and learning about yourself. And it's probably the most enriching and an enjoyable journey any one of us can embark on i mean yes. it's probably the it's, journey yes it's probably the most important thing you can do because you might spend all your life working all your life building this empire with money and fame and wealth and houses and cars and all that but your heart will remain empty 
and you reach the end of that rainbow and railroad road rather and you think what was i what did i do 30 years of that for and then the despair that hits you is um well we can see the effects of that in the world so alongside the work you're doing in the world do the inner work as well we spend so much energy doing the outer work. Yes. Education, degrees, working, morning to night. But we ignore this inner work. And I think doing the both together really leads to a much richer, richer life. I love what you said about find your treasure. I think it uh, might be the title of this podcast. Okay. All right, Brian. Well, it's always a pleasure. Thank you thank so much. Thank you so much. And thank you all for joining. I hope you enjoyed this conversation and we will be reconnecting with Dr. Manaj again soon. So uh, see you in the next episode.